0: Today's episode is brought to you by JustWorks. JustWorks helps businesses take care of their benefits, their health care, payroll, and HR. It's just that simple. We use it and absolutely love it here at Reboot. Grow your business and not your busy work. Get JustWorks. Learn more and to learn how we use it at Reboot, go to reboot.io slash JustWorks.
1: The stupid ass startup playbook (laughs) tells you that there's no place in your company for love. Yeah. Okay. And I'm here to tell you that's a lie.
0: Welcome to the Reboot Podcast. From caring comes courage, Lao so. Tzu. I was kind of a nerd in high school. Okay, I was a nerd in high school. and There are a lot of reasons you could have called me a nerd, but a big one was my love for the stock market. Thanks to a small inheritance from a great aunt, trusting parents, an old sky pager, and a booming internet tech stock bubble, I was actively trading stocks while in high school. My friends used to tease me for checking the NASDAQ and the Dow, sneaking looks during class on the pager, and calling my broker at lunch to buy into whatever was hot at the time. Maybe it was Yahoo or Cisco, or maybe Juniper Networks. But hey, I was good and very lucky. Probably just lucky, but it worked for me. So much so that I often heard from friends and even random kids at school that I was going to crush it that I was going to figure it out and be very successful at a young age. And that felt really good at the time, but it also carried a weight. And with each passing year that I didn't crush it, every word of support, every vote of confidence became a burden of disappointment. By the time I was 28, the comments no longer perked me up, but instead amplified and supported the voice of doubt. I remember feeling like a fraud, feeling like I let all those people down. Frankly, people I don't even talk to or see anymore. But their voice still echoed. They believed in me, and probably more than I believed in myself. Were they wrong? Or did I lie to them? Or did I just really screw it up? Their support from the past fueled my own disappointment today. It's really wonderful to have the support of so many, to have so many who believe in you, But there is another side to it, the weight and fear of disappointing them. Our guest today, a podcast listener and entrepreneur, is Zoe Weintraub, founder of Opus for Work. Zoe and Jerry discuss both the beauty and burden of external expectations, and ultimately find that when you follow the emotion and vulnerability associated with them, they expose your superpower, hiding in plain sight.
1: Hey, Zoe, how are you? It's good, to, uh, it's good to connect with you.
2: Hey, Jerry. Thanks so much for having me on the show. Uh, such an honor. Um, so happy to be here and to talk with you today.
1: Oh, well, it's, it's really a pleasure. And uh, anybody who emails me and tells me they're a huge fan of the show gets immediate buy right into the show. Cold
2: <laughs> oh, emails, <laughs> they work.
1: That's right. They do. They do. Especially if you flatter somebody's ego. No, I'm teasing. <laughs> So it's really it's really a delight to meet you and to talk with you. Why don't you just take a moment and and tell us a little bit about who you are, what your company does, and and really in the end, like what prompted you to reach out in the first place?
2: Yeah, sure. So my name is Zoe. Um, I'm the CEO and co-founder of Opus for Work. And we're basically a company pursuing um, the idea of empowering people to work when they want um, and to work flexibly. Um, so we believe that you know people are seeking a new way to work and that's fundamentally changing. So we want to be the place that someone can go to educate themselves about flexible work opportunities, find those jobs, and then manage um, those opportunities so that they can increase their earnings over time. Um, We've started kind of today in the space of on-demand jobs um, in the Bay Area. Uh, And we're really looking at, you know, how do you help people find these jobs, make more money, um, and then build out a reputation that they can use to kind of grow their career in and outside of, you know, part-time, full-time, temporary um, work. Um, And my background before that is I've worked in startups uh, very different. I worked in payments at WePay and then uh, Grouper, which was a group Matchmaking dating company. So in a way, we're kind of you know helping people make more money, but also matching them to the right opportunities. Um, and we really see that you know there's this great chance for people to have a life in which they have work come as that secondary component. Um, and I think on-demand jobs are kind of the first opportunity people have seen that in the consumer space, um, and that it's going to translate into a lot more industries over time. Um, and so we're kind of betting on helping people make that
1: work. Gotcha. Gotcha. And uh, the name of the company is Opus, O-P-U-S, for work. Tell me a little bit about that.
2: Yeah. So Opus kind of came about in a couple ways. So me and my co-founder, Zach, uh, who I mentioned, we are both really- Oh, wait, wait,
1: wait. It's Zoe and Zach.
2: Yeah, it's okay. easy to keep straight. Yeah. <laughs> um, we, we contemplated a name with our, our letters in them, but we thought that was a little too uh, self-centered. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. So we had worked together at Grouper, and we decided when we left, we wanted to start a company around people. Um, you know, being in the Bay Area, a lot of companies spawn out of you know great products or ideas, um, and we had a lot of those, and we wanted to help people. But we thought that, you know, building a foundation with um, you know, people at the start would help us kind of explore a bunch of different ideas. Um, and so doing that, I needed to make money while we pursued some ideas. And one of those ways was working for on-demand services. So I started working for Instacart, um, Sidecar, and Caviar, and just really saw a totally different lens into the types of people that were doing these jobs and the reasons why they were doing them. You know, I was an entrepreneur. That's why I was doing them. Someone was a stay-at-home mom. That's she was doing them, you know, someone that was retired, needed extra income, all these different reasons, and really saw that people loved it. They loved the freedom, the flexibility, and it was empowering. Um, And I think, you know, now that was, I was last November, um, so eight, nine months later, you know, we've really circled in on, you know, opportunities and jobs are the way that you can first help people experience that. Uh, but over time, as more and more industries adopt this model, like how do you provide, the base and the community um, for people looking for this work. Um, and so that's been really exciting and to learn about, you know, different income classes, different skill sets of people in the Bay Area when mm-hmm. there's such a dichotomy between high-skilled and low-skilled mm-hmm. and that that gap is only widening.
1: Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. That's really helpful. So, so take me to what it is that prompted you to reach out in the first place.
2: Yeah, so as I mentioned, you know, I'm a big fan of Reboot. I listen to it. But every release and episode, I usually run. Um, and then I have the lovely Golden Gate Bridge as my backdrop. So it's very serene. Um, and I was thinking, you know, what is it that I personally am trying to work on in developing this company? And I think learning is such a big part of it. And that was one of the reasons why we wanted to undertake it is what's, where can we learn the quickest and how do we do that? And, you know, having someone that I fully trust and being supportive as a co-founder it has been great to take that risk and that leap. Um, But I was thinking about, you know, I'm okay with failure because I think it's a great way to learn. Um, But what about all the people around me that have given me the strength and the confidence to pursue something completely unknown and take this huge risk? What about their, like, conception of failure? Because now they're so tied to my success and to my journey. Um, And, you know, what does that mean for them and, you know, how... How do I share my learnings in a way that impacts them in a meaningful way, but then also doesn't, you know, hurt them too? I mean, what if I do fail? Is it a reflection of them and, you know, their belief or their risk or them putting their neck on the line for me in an introduction or an investment or um, a Facebook post? Um, and so I was just thinking more about those implications and how to bring people along on the journey in a positive way, um, but then also, you know, to protect them from, Whatever, you know, potential happens to me and this company um, down the road.
1: Okay. So let's name a few things that's going on already. Okay. What was the last phrase you just used?
2: Down the road?
1: Just no. before that. Um, what verb do you want to use as it relates to them?
2: Uh, effect, how it affects them?
1: I this mean, is so funny. You, I, I, can't, I, know, I can't
2: go back. I this. know.
1: All the, all the <laughs> listeners are hearing it. You want to protect them.
2: Oh, yes.
1: Okay. Oh, yes.
2: Yeah.
1: Tell me about wanting to protect them.
2: Um, You know, I think the protection is that... um
1: Yeah, so just slow down. Yeah. Because it just happened. Yeah. Your whole face shifted again. Yeah. What does protecting them mean? From what? Huh? Yeah, now you're feeling
2: it. I don't know. I think failure or lack of meeting that... My potential
1: or mm-hmm.
2: their yeah. expectation for my potential, maybe.
1: Yeah. I don't know. The answer's not here.
2: No.
1: You, and, and you did this wonderful thing with your eyes. You just shifted your eyes up and to the right mm-hmm. because that's where the answer is. The answer's actually inside of you. Mm. So what is it that you think you're supposed to protect them from?
0: Hmm.
1: How would it feel if they, if the company failed? How do you imagine they would feel?
2: Um, would they feel disappointed or let down?
1: I don't know. You ask yourself that question. What do you think they're going to feel?
2: I guess, I don't know if I'm going to go around it, but I think it's when you, yeah. when, you, when you put yourself behind someone and you support someone and you... Mm. You know, you attach your name to them. Then it's part of their identity. Mm -hmm. And so protecting them from a part of their identity that they've entrusted me with. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And then that fear that they've entrusted me with that. And then what happens
1: if something
2: happens to it?
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So can you name the feelings that you're feeling right now as you say all that? Because your lip is quivering.
2: I think like uncertainty, like I can't give them any certainty about that part of themselves that they've shared with me or that they've, um,
1: the trust that they placed in you.
2: Yeah, exactly. The
1: trust. Yeah. So notice what that does for Zoe as the person.
2: Yeah.
1: Zoe's okay with failure. Yeah. Zach is okay with failure because Zoe and Zach, they're good. Yeah. Right. Right, and I wish that our listeners could see the smile on your face when I say Zoe and Zach are good, because you feel that.
2: Yeah, yeah. But, no there's, idea.
1: but there's a whole nother layer here, which is there's a whole group of people who putting their lives to the side, their ability to earn a reasonable living. Maybe even they have to take a job at Instacart mm-hmm. in order to keep the job at Opus. Mm-hmm. And what if you and Zach fail the people who place their trust inside of you? Yeah. I mean, I think that's that's it. a big piece.
2: That's I think it. I was I was thinking about it in like this scale or this spectrum of um of that trust that's been put in us and in me, and in one side there's, you know, there's family and there's friends and there's, you know, there's angel investors and then there's eventually VCS and then hopefully there's eventually paying customers um, but then there's you know Those there's the way that they share that but then yeah. there's really the people the, the people, people. That yeah and I, and I think being so like emotionally linked to them yes uh, makes it harder too
1: yes, it does because now we're gonna go out on a limb here all right okay and I really appreciate your bravery here and I'm gonna say something out loud okay people who have been fans of the show for a long time, people who have seen me do this work, understand one thing, and Mm -hmm. one thing only. What I ask clients and people that I encounter to do is to authentically step into their fullness of themselves, including the soft, tender spots, because that's where our strength as leaders lies. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah.
1: Okay? So in the past... Have you ever been disappointed by someone that you place trust in? A boss, a friend, a parent, all of the above, none of the above? Yeah. I
2: think all of the above.
1: All of the above. Yeah. Right. And how does that feel inside? Or how did it feel when that trust was either broken or that you had that sense of disappointment and let down?
2: You know, I think you feel... I think initially, I feel you feel dumb,
1: or you feel, you feel taken like, advantage of. Perhaps you feel
2: taken advantage mm, of, mm. and you feel disillusioned. Um, I think is the after effect, right. you know, um, that like you what an
1: idiot I am.
2: Yeah, like you couldn't see that, or you couldn't see what was right in front of you, or you had those doubts and you didn't listen to them. Right, and and then it's it's then rebuilding either that place for that person if you forgive and move forward. Or it's refilling that with something else and that that sense of, you know, part of you is emptier because you would put trust in someone or you would let that someone be a part of you and your own identity.
1: Okay. So it's a deep, deep wound mm-hmm. that happens. Existentially, we start to question our own worth. What the yeah. hell's wrong with me that I could trust this person? Or even yeah. worse... I saw all the signs and I blew right past them. Mm -hmm. I still trusted this person.
2: Yeah.
1: Right. We start to really undermine our own sense of self when that placed trust turns out to have been a a source of disappointment. Because we don't actually know fully if it was misplaced. Right. Sometimes it's clearly misplaced. Sometimes it was placed for good healthy reasons and we're still disappointed mm-hmm. right we are born programmed to trust our parents yeah yeah we are right? and as a parent i will tell you that one of the inherent attributes of parenting the parent-child relationship is wounding
2: mm-hmm.
1: there is no way around that that's what happens when we place love and we act in love in our relationship We are signing up to pain and disappointment. Yeah. Because that's implicit in the relationship. Yeah. So it may not even have been an example of our being naive or uh, foolish. It may be simply a consequence of relationships. Not all relationships disappoint all the time. If they do, it's probably not a healthy relationship.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: Right? But all relationships will disappoint at some point.
2: Yeah, and it's accepting that.
1: That's right. That's right. And not using it as, as fuel for your own self-denigration. Right. Right. So let's hold that for a moment and just acknowledge the burden of worrying about the people who put their faith and trust in you Mm -hmm. and then potentially disappointing them through the failure. Because even the investors, there's a great line that I want everyone who's listening to remember this. Accredited investors. Mm -hmm. You know what that means? It means they can afford to lose the money. (laughs) Right? So I don't want anybody listening to this to worry about losing money for accredited investors. Mm-hmm. The problem is when mom and dad take the second mortgage on the house,
2: mm-hmm. right?
1: Yeah. Right? Because they're actually not an accredited investor. When you have to borrow money to invest, you're not an accredited investor.
2: <laughs> exactly.
1: You may be an accredited parent, you may be coming. Right, a great parent coming from a pure place of love and belief Mm -hmm. but that's not that investing so there's that group of people there's and you named it well potentially customers there's all these other people around us so like we say to ourselves I can roll with failure Mm -hmm. except for the fact that I care about all these people so here's a little thing I want you to hold on to Okay. The fact that you care about people is a superpower, Zoe. Okay. Okay. The fact that you care is hard. Yeah. But like every great Marvel and DC comic superhero, their superpower can have a dark side. Right? And what you're really identifying here is that your superpower. I don't know Zach well enough, but if he's your partner, I guarantee you, he cares about people too. Yeah,
2: I'd say equally, if not more.
1: Because the strength of you as a CEO is so evident that if he's going to be your partner and you allow him to be your partner, he's going to have shared values. Yeah. Yeah. So, but that superpower, I'll show you how it's a superpower in a second, but that superpower is your tender spot as well. Mhm. Right. Here's, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Here's a very male example. Okay, Superman comes from out of space, and because he comes from out of space, he has a very special relationship with the sun. Mhm. Right, and that is both his strength and his weakness. Because if you block the sunlight, he gets weak. This is geeky stuff. The geeks <laughs> yeah. on the uh, on the. I didn't, party, I didn't
2: make many trips to the comic store, but I'll go. I'll go with it. I like having a superpower, and,
1: and I will forgive you. Because <laughs> we at reboot refer to ourselves as the Avengers, and I get to be Iron Man, which is great. You know,
2: I can see that. I can yeah. see that. Not listening to you now. But well, Junior da- is a close. The, close casting too. The,
1: that's right. Dan Putt uh-huh. is Captain America. So you know, you know, it's like language, Jerry. Language. <laughs> um, okay. So let's hold this for a moment. The tender spot shows up in "What if I disappoint?" Mm-hmm. All right. You know where the superpower comes from? Tell me again what the purpose of this company is. To empower people. To, to empower who? People. <laughs> So you mean when you were working at, what was it, Instacart or Lyft? Where were you working?
2: Well, I was working for a few of those, Instacart, Sidecar. And, re-
1: yeah. and remember the, 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 the uh, stay-at-home mom who was working there, right? hmm Remember the retiree? Yeah. Yeah.
2: I remember all of them by name.
1: Now you're going to make me cry, girl. <laughs> That's your superpower. Yeah. You remember yeah. all of them by name.
2: It's scary to think of the day when I won't, which I hope doesn't happen.
1: Right. You can always hold them in your heart, even if you can't remember all the specifics. What do you remember about them?
2: Uh, You remember, I remember, you know, why they like what they're doing, Uh um, but why it's so much better for them outside of work. So, you know, someone that has eight more hours a day, or eight more hours a week with their kids or that can take care of their parents that are aging yeah. or, you know, a veteran that can't get back into the line of work because they've been out of it for, you know, X number of years um, or people that have a smartphone and don't realize all that's capable, like all that's at their fingertips and you just have to, you know, show them how to download an app.
1: Or why is it why is it so important, Zoe, for you? Why is it so important for them to have a better life or for their children to have a better life?
2: Um, ooh. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's important because I think I've always been someone that feels like you can educate people to empower them, and I feel as though I possess a lot of knowledge about this space and the potential and how this helps people, and ooh. so I want to empower them with this knowledge so that they can they can make their own decisions about their life whereas you know i think most people make decisions about their life based on their jobs not right. the other way around
1: yes and and you said something that was quite revealing you said it's always been important to me mm. that always tells me a lot <laughs> yeah it yeah. tells me about your childhood yeah Yeah. And it tells me about going to school. And it tells me what kind of friend you've been. And it tells me what kind of daughter you are. And it tells me what kind of sister you might be. And it tells me what kind of cousin. That the care for the impairment of other people, yeah, is a major motivation. Yeah. Right. And it's part of what defines who you are as a person. Yeah, absolutely. And this, my friend, is your superpower.
2: Wow, that's a tough one.
1: (laughs) What's tough about it?
2: Well, just that, you know, you're linked to so many other people's empowerment. And that's what empowers me. Mm -hmm. But you feel all of that.
1: Yes. What's the alternative to feeling all of that?
2: I don't think
1: there is one. Right. (laughs) You know, to me, the word that pops in my head, it's it's a kind of death.
2: Oh, yeah.
1: Right? For someone like you, and I'm just beginning to get to know you, but for someone like you, feeling that connected, feeling that powerfully connected to other human beings is like Superman needing Mm -hmm. to be in the sunlight. Yeah. Right?
2: No, absolutely.
1: Right? And so now I'm going to go on a limb here. You are living in the belly of the beast in the tech community. Yeah. Okay? And you are daily bombarded with messages that say, focus on the intellect. Focus on the business case. Right? Yep. You know the messages you get. The stupid-ass startup playbook... (laughs) Tells you that there is no place in your company for love. Yeah. Okay. And I'm here to tell you that's a lie. In fact, I'm here to tell you that anybody who doesn't think that Steve Jobs loved certain aspects of the products is denying the reality of his genius. He is a very complicated character. And I like focusing on Steve because Steve is this bizarre polarizing icon. Yeah. Okay. But this is the part that you, and probably Zach as well, love. And this is what led you to create the company in the first place. Tell me again the name of the company. Opus. And what does uh, Opus mean?
2: A composition of work.
1: Not just a composition of work, your greatest composition of work. Yeah. Yeah. The aspiration that's implicit in the title of this company is to be, dare I say it, you and Zach and all of the team's greatest expression, greatest heart-centered artistic expression, which is in helping empower people. Yeah. How's that for a mission statement?
2: That's a really good mission statement. I think we'll have to quote you on it.
1: (laughs) Well, it's a good (laughs) thing we're recording this because I can never remember what I said. Me neither. Imagine asking people to come work for that company.
2: Oh, I can't wait. I've been... (laughs) <laughs> we've, been, um, we've been talking to um, several engineers for kind of technical lead positions and I, I'm reminded every time I have a conversation of not only why I started this company but how exciting it is to be able to bring people into that mission yeah. and the potential to do that um, is, is incredible.
1: Now, imagine those people... For a brief period of time, work for Opus, and then Opus fails. Will they feel pain? No. Well, I think they'll feel the loss. Well,
2: well, money, yeah, the income. Maybe. And they'll
1: feel the loss of it not having worked. Right. But you know, we just finished up our most recent boot camp, an alumni boot camp, and someone said, "Now I get viscerally what does it mean." when I hear the line, better to have loved and lost than never to have loved before. Mm -hmm. Better to have experienced a work environment that strives to empower people to empower people. Yeah. Than to work for yet another company whose main mission is to optimize hours in order to create profitability.
2: Yeah. Are, there's that, the learning there in no matter how short or how long it is. It's that, that opportunity right. to learn. That's right. And the
1: it's opportunity a, to experience that that may be possible.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, as we often talk about at reboot, in describing our own work, but in really describing what we wish for people, it's good work done well for the right reasons. Good work done well for the right reasons.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Good work done well so that you're profitable. Nothing right. that we're saying here takes you out of the obligation to create a self-sufficient, self-sustaining machine called the company. Mm-hmm. For but
2: the, the right reasons, the intention. That's right.
1: Yeah. That's right. The right reasons are everything. Right? You know, many people know I'm a Buddhist and I, we, we often talk about Buddhism and to me Buddhism's Core teaching is what were are known as the four noble truths. The truth of that life is filled with suffering. The truth that what we do to push away suffering increases suffering. The truth of the cessation of suffering. There is a way out. Because if not, you might as well kill yourself. The truth of the fourth noble truth, which is the eightfold path towards the the reduction of suffering, and to me, the most important step in the Eightfold Path is right intention. What are you up to? Why are you doing this? What is my intention? You know, the the, the example I often use is, you know, a man plunges a knife into the chest of another man. Is it a good act or a bad act? He's a surgeon, mm-hmm. who's happens to be robbing you because That's he's try- to because it. he's trying to feed his children. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, intention defines so much of what we're about. And so your intention is to empower your employees to empower other people so that they can go home and spend time with their children mm-hmm. or finish their college degree or pay off, you know, their student loan debts. That's your intention. Yeah. That's noble. I can't tell you if it's a good business.
2: I can't yet quite either. Um, <laughs> but I hope that I can. And I think you know, that's the bet and the hypothesis that we're making is that that intention can create a sustainable business. And yeah. that the intention of the people that work for it and it's- the intention of what it's doing to you know, the economic landscape or how people look at work and how people look at how they then want to hire for their
1: own companies. That it can carry
2: through.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I want to get, I'm feeling quite paternalistic right now. (laughs) Um, And which is funny because I'm always feeling paternalistic. That's an (laughs) issue that I'm dealing with. So I'm going to speak more advising than coaching in a moment. And this speaks to the implicit uh, question I think you were asking, which was, how do I survive when I care so much? Does that resonate? Yes. Yeah. So here's how you survive. And here's what it's about in terms of this. What we often talk about is a greater resiliency. Mm -hmm. I don't care if Opus succeeds or fails. So we never lose connection to your core purpose. The truth is, every single one of our entrepreneurial endeavors is like an art project. Mm -hmm. Some turn out well. Some don't turn out so well.
0: Yeah.
1: You know, a few years back, I was very reluctant to scale myself as a coach because, well, I still have all this ambivalence about I never want to lose what's happening for me right now, which is Mm -hmm. the ability to have a deep, meaningful conversation with one human being. No matter how famous I might become or how many people listen to the podcast. The thing that motivates me more than anything else that that makes my heart sing and gives me nourishment is to have a meaningful conversation with one person. So in that ambivalence, I drafted a bunch of people, including Dan Putt, to launch this business called Cojourneo. And Cojourneo was trying to be a platform for this kind of work with a couple of digitized kinds of things, maybe an app, maybe online learning platform and all this stuff, but we never really got it right.
0: Uh-huh.
1: And I took, we took, some of the best intentions of that, some of the best wishes, and poured that into this remarkably successful, beautiful, stable business called Reboot. Yeah. Right? It's the same conversation. It's the same work. I've been doing the same work most of my adult life. Regardless of the c- expressions as a career. So whether Opus raises its rounds, whether you hire, my lips to God's ears, you hire all the people that you want to do, and you, and you give heart and soul to Uber. Great. <laughs> That's great. But whether or not you succeed in doing that, hold on to this. This is your superpower.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: This will define you as a leader, right? And we will know it because people will give up safety and security to belong to the company that you create. Thank you. So you are welcome, and thank you for, for leaning in with such bravery and honesty and depth here. Um, I think you, you, you really named a very, very important topic, Before we go, anything else that you would want to say or add?
2: Um, You know, I think that, that you've helped show how important vulnerability is in all aspects of starting a company, not just through your podcast, but even just speaking with you today. And I think, you know, as someone that does want to empower people and help people, and I'm connected to that, um, vulnerability is a way in which you can always do that, but you can sometimes place it in different buckets. Yes. And I think self-vulnerability and, you know, figuring out how to improve upon what you're feeling and, you know, dig into that is something that, you know, I sometimes push to the side in hopes of connecting more with with users or mm-hmm. with friends or with family. Um but they're they're one and the same and so I appreciate you digging into that. Well,
1: today. well thank you for that. What what I would add to that is For me, the goal isn't necessarily vulnerability. The goal is authenticity. Mm. The goal is being real. It can be experienced oftentimes and expressed oftentimes as a kind of tenderness and vulnerability. The reason for that is because behind so much of our fear is sadness. Mm. Right? And so it comes out as it gives us a sense of being exposed. Uh Uh-oh. I'm going to be judged. I'm going to be criticized. Someone's going to listen to this. They're going to question whether or not I have the strength because I just cried, (laughs) right? But what I really want to encourage everyone to do is show up in the totality of who they are and lead from that place. Sometimes that's from a vulnerable, tender place. And sometimes it's from a completely joyous, completely hysterical, completely goofy place.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: What people want is to connect with authentic human beings. That's what we want our leaders to be.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. We don't want them to be fake. We want them to be real. Even if that means they come across as broken. Yeah. So... Anyway, I really appreciate that last question because I think it gave us an opportunity to, to explore something that a lot of people often feel. It's like, oh, I can't come on the show because I might cry. Come on the show and laugh. <laughs> come on the show and, and show us how you're kind of, don't taking yourself too seriously. Yeah. You know?
2: That's something that definitely is undervalued in, you know, the trials and tribulations of starting a company is laughter.
1: That's so. it. That's it. Thank you so much for, for coming on the show. It, it, I know people are going to really, really enjoy this episode. Thank you, Zoe.
2: Thank you so much, Jerry. Meet the co-founders of Adcade.
0: Rob Prentice, COO of Adcade. Rob Cromer, CEO of
1: Adcade. Buzz Wiggins, CTO of Adcade. There was group consensus that our relationship was not as healthy as it was when we started the company. Uh, just kind of uh, casualties of running a business. It's part. The first thing to go is the communication between best friends. And there were things we needed to unpack. And we did not have the environment here to do such uh, an exercise on our own. I'd say we didn't have the framework. We didn't have the framework. And it's not to say that we haven't done things that bother each other since boot camp. we've made it like a point to sit each other down and, and just say it. So you don't build up resentment. You don't feel as though you're, you're holding something in. You just sit them down and have a conversation about it and tell them how you feel. I think that goes a long way. And it's something that we would never have done before naturally.
2: Co-founder bootcamp is our invitation for you to discover how your leadership team can work together better. Join us this March 2nd through the 6th. Learn more at Reboot.io slash co-founders.
0: So that's it for our conversation today. I know a lot was covered in this episode from links to books, to quotes, to images. So we went ahead and compiled all that and put it on our site at Reboot.io slash podcast. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, you can find out about that on our site as well. I'm really grateful that you took the time to listen. If you enjoyed the show and you want to get all the latest episodes as we release them, head over to iTunes and subscribe. And while you're there, it would be great if you could leave us a review, letting us know how the show affected you. So thank you again for listening, and I really look forward to future conversations together. Right.